0: I, uh, yeah, thanks to David too for leading us in worship tonight. Um, that was, it really set the the mood. Um, I came in excited and, uh, but just being here and and even in singing that last song, I just felt like, um, there's something happening here and uh, I think it's bigger than maybe us as individuals, but collectively we came together a few hundred people on a Tuesday night. And I think the message to the community at least is, Hey, we care about you enough to come here to get equipped. Um, so I hope that your belief and your thought isn't that I'm going to come here and take some knowledge away and just hide it and, and keep it to myself. But I hope that our, especially as we go through the book of Acts, if there was any book that should challenge us to take what we know and to give it away, it should be the book of Acts. And that's what we're going to do. And tonight we're going to see this incredible conversation between two people, one that has information and one that needs information. And I'm just so excited to be here tonight because I love talking about the Bible on more than just a Jesus loves me this I know kind of level. And diving a little bit deeper into, yeah, but what about, and how about, and did you ever think about, and as we begin to discover some things that Peter and Cornelius are going to talk about tonight, it really dawned on me as I was kind of looking at this chapter, there's a lot of head knowledge in this chapter. There's a lot of things that if you just stop and pause and stop and ask a question as to, well, why is he doing this or why does he believe this and how did they come together? Unless you choose to dismiss that information as, well, that's just God and that's just how he does things. I think God's given us minds to dig a little deeper. And I think that's why we're here tonight is to, to find out, God, what is it that makes this whole thing work? I'm not satisfied with an elementary answer. I was at one point. I was satisfied with just simply knowing that you died for me, and, and I'm glad for that, and I'm appreciative of that, but, but I'm growing now. In like fact, the book of Hebrews tells us, the writer of Hebrews tells the audience of Hebrews in chapter 5 and bleeding into chapter 6, um, that's a good place to start, fe- feeding off of milk, right? But, but you're past that. You need to start growing and getting used to adult food. And tonight, um, for better or for worse, I guess I just I, I want to approach this passage with with some of that in mind. If if you would allow me the privilege of doing that, um, where we're we'll get to heart knowledge by the end of the chapter, in terms of takeaways and how I can apply this. And really, the theme of Acts ten, guys, if we really stop and think about it, is the the the, the message to us today. I think is is to share this information with others. But to begin tonight, I just want to stop and ask, how much information do we know? And really, to be pointed, I guess, how much information do you know? Because the one thing I've learned over the past 30 plus years as as my life in Christ is that this glorious book, since I've had it anyway, and, and I think I can speak safely for you, nothing's changed in it nothing. The order of the books, the verses, regardless of your translation or interpretation, it's going to say basically the same thing. Everything in this book has stayed the same from the time you came to know Christ till present day. It's not like it's a moving target where, gosh, I hope that information that I learned last year is still present this year. And that's the beauty of the Bible is, once you know it, you know it. Uh, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have to wonder, gosh, will it change? It's here. I think too many of us, though, we rely on maybe outside sources or we rely on maybe that rainy day that will never come where I'll sit down and actually study this. So by you being here it just shows, hey, Greg, I'm making an effort. I mean, give me that at least. Okay, I'm making an effort to be here. I could be doing other things on Tuesday night. So thank you so much for that. And now let's just kind of really just put our feet to the fire collectively and ask ourselves, how much do we know out of this book? Because even though Peter was a fisherman, and as I said last week, this is really the acts of Paul and Peter, and Paul is the academician of the two. Peter said some very, had some very salient points to give when he shared the gospel with people. He just didn't simply stand up and say, Jesus died for us and that's all you need to know because that's all I know. But he quoted qu- quite a few verses and he, and he, out of the Old Testament. He kind of brought people through a history of the Old Testament. Um, and that's not expressing like experiential knowledge or heart knowledge. That's expressing head knowledge. I'm, I'm, I'm stating facts, and these facts are verifiable. And I just wonder sometimes when we get into conversations, do our coworkers, neighbors, friends, teammates, classmates... Do they long for some of that? Do they long for some, I may not agree with you, but I'm going to walk away from this conversation respecting you. Or do they, not only do I not agree with you, is that all you know? Do they leave with that mentality? And you've been a believer for what, how long? You've had access to this book for how long? And is that, is, is really, is that all you know? Like, no no judgment here, but really? I wonder. And so without hands raised or whatnot, um, can we start tonight? This might get a little dicey, but um, I, I want to do a little Bible. Can we do, and again, we're in the house of God, and so I think God's okay with us um, quizzing ourselves and being okay with what we know and what we don't know. Uh, I think the first step, um, this isn't a, you know, anonymous type meeting here but the first step is kind of admitting hey here's what i don't know right so hi my name is greg and i don't know much about the bible okay so if we can just get to that point and just say okay that's where i'm at here i'm here you know i don't know much about the bible great or maybe i have been a christian for 10 12 years and here's how much i know or you know what i've been you know and and here's how much i know and how much do you know and so the way that just to begin this conversation tonight a couple of mic runners this is your first time at the mine Uh, It's kind of a unique setting where we have mics out in the audience and you can raise a question, add a comment, give a thought uh, anytime you would like. And so what I'd like for our uh, great mic runners to do is I want to find two people, maybe if we said this is the middle of the crowd here. So I'll take one person from this side and one person from this side. And what I'd like for you to do is represent your side. That doesn't mean you have to know everything. That just means that you're going to be the mouthpiece. Okay, so I just need two people to raise their hands and just be the mouthpiece for your group. Okay, that's that's all I need. So you extroverts, let me know. Just raise your hand. This isn't gonna be painful. Okay, I got one here in the middle. I got one over here. And I need someone in this section here. I really need someone in this section here. I just need you to stand up and look around for the answers from the group. Okay, so you don't have to be the I just need someone. There we go. Alright, great. Okay. And let's give them a hand because boy, that seemed like that was difficult here, so Um, And what I want to do is, uh, let me get to this here, Uh, what I want to do is, uh, I teach Bible over at Valley Christian High School, and one of the projects I give my seniors is to look in the Bible for this information. Okay, so what I'm going to do is, I'm going to, and I I want my people to stand up, don't, this is, you have the mic now, so you might as well stand up and enjoy the the moment here. Um, I'm going to show some questions up here, and I just want you to turn to your group, your team and see if you can collectively come up with the answers to the questions I ask. Okay, that's, that's all we're doing here. Okay, So these are some of the questions I would ask my students to go find the information. But I would give them like four or five days to go do this. Okay, So I'm giving you no time. So here we go. Um, I don't know if, if I can do it all at once or if I just have to. Uh, okay, so maybe. Yeah, good. I can. So I know the screen's kind of hiding things. But can you see that first one? Okay, so the first one, for the if you can't see that, is what are the names of the 12 disciples? So if you were given that assignment where I gave you 60 seconds with no technology, um, I introduced, uh, this past week, I introduced iPads to my class. And so all my kids have iPads. My students have iPads now. And the running joke now in my class is every time a student gets a right answer that I ask, everyone just shouts out Google search, you know, and they're just kind of They think the kid just got the answer from, from somewhere else. And so you don't have that. Well, maybe you do have that uh, availability to you if you're quick enough. But if I were to ask these two teams, not what are the names of the 12 disciples? We're not going to, I don't even, I know them. Um, But the question is this, because guys, this is my heart. And, and boy, this may, some of you that are big into sword drills and Bible memory and Awanas may, may really write me nasty emails here, but I'm not convinced that, yes, I need to hide God's word in my heart. Yes, I need to be a student of the word. But I'm more appreciative, I guess, of someone that knows their way around the word of God than someone that can quote me 20 verses because they learned it 20 years ago. Because in those moments when I'm at work, at the mailbox, at the kids' ball game, at school, and I'm conversing with someone that doesn't know Christ, I want to be there with someone that's sharing Christ, that knows their way around the Word, that may not know every single word there is to a memory verse. Gosh, did I switch those two words around? Or But I could tell you what book to go to to find the Twelve Disciples. So my question to the teams are, what books could I go to if I had to find the answer to the 12 disciples? What books could, would I, should I go to? Okay, so that's the question on the table. Okay, So over here, what books would I go to? Tell your, te- tell your team lead here and just shout them out to your team lead and then they can represent.
1: Well, I found Matthew 10.
0: What? Okay, I got an answer here.
1: Matthew 10.
0: Okay, so Matthew would be a book I could go to. Okay, good. Good answer.
1: Um, we got Mark chapter 3.
0: Okay, good. Mark could be a, a book I could go to. What, are there any others?
1: So the gospel.
0: Okay, so the gospels at large, which would include Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But is there one book that you, you may or may not know this, but there is one book that doesn't include the 12 disciples. Or the names of them, I should say. So Matthew does. Mark does. You're down to two. What other book contains the names of the 12 disciples? You flip a coin here.
1: We're saying Luke.
0: Good. Excellent. There you go. Good. Okay. Now, you beat me to my second question, but my second question is, where in those books would I find them? And again, I'm not terribly concerned with... It's Mark 3 or Matthew 10. I'm concerned with if you had to go get that information, you know enough about the scriptures to know it's probably in the front end of those books rather than in the back end. So while you're flipping there and trying to find it, just be a a good steward of the way God set up his word. Probably if, you know, God, I'm not you, but but, you know, I know enough to know that Jesus's ministry was early in those books and he called those 12 disciples early in his ministry. Therefore, if I'm flipping around Matthew 26 for the names of the 12 disciples, I may be too far over. So, yeah, I may not have known it was Matthew 10 or Mark 3. But if I'm in Mark 1 or Matthew 9, or I'm eventually going to land on the heading that says, and Jesus calls Peter and Andrew, and Jesus calls James and John, and, and there I am. Okay, so good. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, okay? Second question. Uh, two, two of them back to back. What are the dimensions of Noah's Ark? And uh what are the dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant? Okay, so let's tackle the first one, okay? Where would I find that information? Where are the dimensions of Noah's Ark? Genesis. And the, and the people said Genesis. Good. Now bonus question. Genesis is a pretty long book What, 50 plus chapters. Where in Genesis would I find the dimensions to Noah's Ark? Good. Now we've, now we've limited it somewhere in the first half. Oh, the first 10. Oh, now even better. Exactly. Six,
1: seven, eight.
0: Wow. Boom. Six. Yeah. It's right there. Now, why is that important? Why does that matter? It matters for this reason. I'm at work and a coworker says, hey, I saw on Discovery Channel last night that they're looking for Noah's Ark again. Okay, you know. And now they're off on some rant about how, you know, it couldn't have fit all the animals and, you know, all this stuff that they're challenging Christianity. And then they say to you, you even know how big Noah's Ark was? And you say, not offhand. Not offhand. But I could find out. And so you pull out your Bible, because we always bring our Bibles everywhere. Hint. In fact, my kids, my students today, I said, turn to Genesis 1 or something today, and they all had their iPads out, and so I heard a bunch of tapping, you know? And I said, guys, i got to tell you something, honestly. Like, I kind of miss the page turning. I know you're you're in God's Word, but I just miss the rustling of the pages. So I said, I'm going to try to find an app that has Sounds. And like one of them would be rustling pages. And one kid said, how about we just like, as we're tapping, we pull out other books and just rustle pages. And I said, well, all right, whatever works. So, so you, you could say, I, I don't know exactly what the dimensions are. But since you asked, and guys, you have to know this. When non-Christians watch you handle the word of God, they are somewhat interested in, do you know your way around this book? Because probably I'm expecting you to know more of your way around this book than I do. And, you know, whether they know much or little, they might land in Genesis. I mean, that's kind of a a fair guess for anyone to say Noah, early, God, Genesis. Yeah, it probably makes sense. But where in Genesis? Again, 50, what, 50 chapters in Genesis and so for you to go to Genesis 6 or to find your way in the first 10 chapters says a lot about, okay, as you're flipping there, you're probably praying as well, God, please let me find this quick, you know, please just let me. But it began, guys, God gave us minds. And you can't just open up the middle of your Bible to the book of Psalms and hope to find how many cubits the ark was. And this isn't about posture in front of non-Christians. But I think it does say a lot when you open up to Genesis and flip to maybe seven or eight or nine or, and you'll pick it up pretty quickly. Okay, I'm, I, you know, it says like the ark landed. Okay, I'm a little too far then, you know, back up a little bit. They'll give you a page or two or three, but is that a conversation where you know, I don't know how big the ark is. Let's look. And you flip like almost closely right on Genesis 6. You say, oh, look, it's right here. Um, Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 9. And you start reading it. And then you tell them because your study Bible tells you like how much a cubit is. And it's about 18 inches. And so you start doing the math. And then you're into a fun discussion with them. Probably they didn't want to get into that discussion. But because you have strength on your side, now you can have a great discussion. But it all began with you having some sort of a, a working knowledge of where the Noah's Ark could be found. Okay? Um, does anyone know what the Ark of the Covenant is? What is the Ark of the Covenant? First of all, to shout out to your team lead here. Your.
1: The box that the Ten Commandments was in.
0: Okay, good. There were several things stored in it. Ten Commandments were one of them. What else was in there? Manna. Okay, manna, good. And one more thing. Good, Aaron's rod. They call it Aaron's budded rod or his staff that kind of blossomed. Okay? Um, so you get done maybe watching, you know, Indiana Jones or something. Remember the first one? And, and it had the ark, you know, and that was kind of the big deal to find the ark of the covenant and stuff. And so someone, you know, someone says to you, um, what does God say about the ark of the covenant? you say, that's a good question. I I haven't really thought about it a whole lot. But let's figure it out. Where would you go? Exodus. Good. So at least I'm in the Old Testament. Okay? And if I know enough to know it's got the Ten Commandments in it, then the Ten Commandments had to happen before they could put it in the ark or they had to put it in the ark. So it couldn't have been like Genesis 2. So now I have to think, okay, when were the Ten Commandments? See, guys, and all of this is starting to now kind of piece together to you where I may not know exactly where it is, but I can get there. So if you just heard this discussion and asked yourself, gosh, I'm so glad I'm not standing up with a microphone right now because I have no idea where I would go. It just gives you an indication. This is just an indication of where I'm at. And again, that's okay. But if we get together next year, January, and you're still at here, Right? I mean, what does that say? Because none of this information has changed. Um, we can blow through a couple more. What was the name of Ruth's husband? Where would Boaz. I find that?
1: It's Boaz.
0: Oh, yeah, it is actually. But w- w- Very good. Yeah. Where would I find it? The book of? Ruth. Okay, that's kind of a, you know, it was a trick question a little bit. You know. But then the question is this. What do you think the question is? Where's Ruth? Guys, have you ever been, this is one of my greatest fears, honestly, um, when I was kind of early on in my walk with the Lord is, hey, you got to invite people to church, invite people to church. So, okay, God, I want to invite people to church. Well, you know, if I invite someone to church, they're not bringing a Bible. They don't know Jesus, rarely. So who's the, who's the Bible guy, right? Who's the Bible gal? You are. So then you sit down, right? And you're kind of, you're nervous because you, you want them to know Jesus and you're kind of up there, you know? And so the pastor stands up, my greatest fear was he would ask us to turn to a book. I didn't know where it was. Turn to Habakkuk. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Because my greatest fear, again, was... I want this person to think, you know, I know something. I know a little bit. Like the order of the books of the Bible. Now, technology, I'll be honest, has helped us a great deal. Because when you tap on your, your you version or whatever... It kind of just drops down the whole table of contents. And so, or you may have the tabs or whatever, you know, that works. They never go anywhere, these books. The order of the books never change. Our kids have memorized the books by a song. You may have done the same thing. There's no harm in that. I know all 50 states in order alphabetical because of a song I learned in sixth grade, right? I so should, but I'm not going to. Trust me though. Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Colorado, you know, you know, okay. But that's how I learned. That's why you learned it, right? And so our kids are coming home. and They're like, yeah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, or whatever the song is. And there's this joy in my heart, not because they learned some song at school, but because years from now, when God moves in their life to say, hey, invite this person to church, and they get to church, and the pastor says, okay, we're in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, we feel very confident um, that our kids can get there pretty easily, um, and there's there's value to that. Okay, um, we don't have to go through all of these, but how about this one? As we kind of close out, um, I don't want to take too much time on this, but which church, according to the uh, which church according to it should be John's vision was poor? The last question there. Which church, according to John's vision, was poor? What is he even talking about there? So, the, the, my two volunteers here who have the mics, what would be your guess, pick? What, what book would I go to to find out that information? Revelation. Good. Excellent. Great. Okay. And do you know where in Revelation? Two or three. Concur? Sure. Absolutely. Good. Good job there. Yeah, first three chapters, Jesus writes a letter, or the angel writes a letter through Jesus to the seven churches, and one of them, he says, talks about them being poor. Um, that's power, guys. Thank you so much, volunteers. Thank you for doing that. Um, I need to move on to something else. It's power because... The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Knowledge. And I'm convinced, guys, that there is a difference between wisdom and knowledge. And, you know, this isn't all about head knowledge. But I certainly don't want to discount head knowledge. And Peter, when we look at his journey here, he's going to need it. Because he's going to go up against a guy that needs to know the gospel. But this guy, in order to know the gospel, has done a few things already. And so he would be deemed as somewhat of a religious guy. And so he's not kind of just fell off the, the turnip truck and just kind of, you know, I don't know anything. So whatever you say, I'll believe. Uh, they call him, they, they would they would call this guy, some people would call him uh, a proselyte. Some people would call him a Gentile, a uh, pre-believer. Um, but some people call him a religious man. But if you look at chapter 10, look at uh, starting in verse 1 and 2. A man named uh, from Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Cohort devout man, one who feared God with all his household, gave many alms to the Jewish people, prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour, he saw a vision, an angel of God who had just come into him and said, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze upon him, being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now dispatch some men to Joppa and sent for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a certain tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had departed, he summoned two of his servants to soldiers who were in constant attendance of him. And after he explained everything, he, let, he sent them to Joppa. This guy knows some stuff. He's, he's religious. What, and, and again, back to this idea of do I know the Bible or not? Here's an interesting question. Look at verse four and fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed. He said, what is it, Lord? And he, The angel said, your prayers and your alms, your giving, your, your worship has ascended as a memorial before God. Why is that? Why do I find that interesting? Because practically, have you ever heard someone say this? Um, does God hear the prayers of sinners? Does God hear and answer the prayers of the unrighteous? Have you ever given that consideration? Because the way you answer that question obviously applies to this passage as to whether who, who Cornelius is at this point. And, we, and again, guys, we, we, we touched on this last week that God is multitasking right now. He's working in Peter's life and Cornelius's life. But as I read through this passage, one thing that I want to do always as a student of God is to approach the passage with my eyes wide open and kind of my my mental antenna up to stop when I need to stop and just say, God, this doesn't make sense to me. And when I was kind of prepping for this a few weeks ago, I said, God, what doesn't make sense to me is who is Cornelius right here? Is he saved or not saved? Because, man, he's sure acting like he's saved. Devout. Fears God, worships him, gives to the church at that time, the temple. Can't get inside because he's not Jewish, but he's doing everything up to that point. So who is he? Why? What is it? If, if, because because if he is saved. Then what would be my next question? Why send who? Peter. If he's already saved. Apparently, God wants Cornelius saved so much because he doesn't do this for everyone, let's admit. Drops an angel down. And you need to go go get this guy named Peter because he's got some message for you. Okay, here I go. So if Cornelius is saved, why does he need the gospel was my question. And over the past week, I got into a fascinating discussion. You know, um... Uh, they sit right down here. They're not here tonight, but Earl and Bev, uh, older couple, gosh, love it, Earl and Bev. Earl and Bev usually sit down here, Earl usually adds a comment or two. Um, they couldn't be here tonight. They're helping out with something else. But I, but Earl emailed me and said, well, what do you think about this? And I emailed him back. I said, here's what I think. Um, in fact, I don't know if the screen's still up, but... Um, I just want to give you, so this is our conversation right here. His is in red, and, and he doesn't know I'm doing this, so I apologize in advance, I guess, Earl, if you're going to listen to this at some point. Nothing in here is bad. I just, I, and you know, I'm not going to read all this. I just want to show you, this, this is two Christians right here, feasting on God's word, because we're trying to figure stuff out. And guys, my point in showing you this is, is you're not going to answer every question here tonight. I'm, I I got up here last week and gave you my options. And when we got home, Earl emailed me and said, well, you know, what do you think? Because I'm not going to be there next week. So tell me your answers. So I gave him my answers. And then his response is in red. And now we're into some lengthy discussion about the salvation status of Cornelius. And again, while your temperament may not be that way and certainly doesn't have to be, I just, I love the fact that this isn't something that either of us like are going to, you know, divide friendship over. But rather we can come at this as two people who love Jesus and just have fun trying to discover with the, with the game plan of, and this is true for a lot of stuff in Scripture, we might not know till glory. But guys, I, how many conversations have I been in where I've had Christians tell me, because we might not know till glory... I'm not going to do anything on the front end in terms, of, in terms of investigating what the answer is on the front end. I'll just wait till glory. If I'm going to get the answer anyway in glory, what, what's the difference on the front end? Oh my gosh. Why, why even have a mind then? Why don't just, just pack your Bible away and just wait till glory so all the answers can be revealed to you? Do you realize, guys, that these saints that wrote the scriptures will be in heaven? Ever show up to a family reunion where you know no one, as opposed to when you show up to a family reunion and you're familiar? Two very different situations. Guys, I want heaven for all of us to be a situation where when I show up, I can say, uh, because I don't know what they look like, but seriously, you're Peter, seriously, you're James? oh my goodness i we I, I got to, we got to talk here, I got some questions. You're going, to, you're going to be talking to the authors of this book. In a few years, in a few decades, maybe in a few weeks, I don't know. But they're going to be there. And guys, I just personally, I just don't want to show up and say, um, you're David? Okay, I'm Greg. I mean, should I know you? Like, should, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, is this awkward right now? Um, I want to be able to say to David... Why did you do some of those things? Look away. Look away. Come figure But I also want to ask him, what was it like? Guy was nine and a half feet tall. What was that like? Tell me, tell me, I know what the scriptures say, but just between me and you, right? You weren't scared a little. I mean, did you know that that rock was going to hit him right in the head? What was it like to hold his head up after you cut it off? But I don't know that unless I know the word. Um, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will last forever. This is going with us. Uh, that's what I love about God's word. It's eternal. It's going with us, guys. Okay? Um, I, I, we don't, I don't want to belabor that, but that came to my mind, and it came to my mind about Cornelius because of the prayer issue. Does God hear the prayers of the unrighteous? It's a fascinating study. And, and again, time won't allow us to, to dive into this necessarily tonight. But if you're interested in that, go look it up. Go do some work on that. It's a simple Google search. Does God hear the prayers of the unrighteous? And you'll get a number of credible, reputable websites that can help you with passages. Um, some people are very adamant. God doesn't hear the prayer of the unrighteous. That the prayers of the sinners got fall on deaf ears. And other people say, well, Cornelius may not have been a believer. And so God heard his prayer, obviously. Uh, the woman that um, uh, Jesus came into town, she's from Tyre, and she said, my daughter is demon-possessed. And, and the scriptures say, and I want to say it's Matthew, and um, I have it somewhere in here. It's uh, Mark 7, I'm sorry. Um, she says, can you heal him or her? And, and it says that she was a Gentile from a certain certain province, clearly not a Jew and clearly not a believer. And Jesus heals the, the demon-possessed girl. He heard this woman. He listened to her. Not only did he listened to her, he answered her cry. And then there's other passages in John and 1 Peter that say, "No, God doesn't hear those who don't know him." So go make a decision now, you know I don't lose sleep over what decision you make, but I'm saying as you read this, that should come up if you're if you're a student of God's word. God did you hear Cornelius's prayer? Is he saved then? I don't know and so just be, be about that business. It's a fun life to live when you're about that business guys. okay so moving on then on the next day then like I said, God's multitasking here. okay they're approaching the city verse nine Peter went up to the housetop to pray six hour to pray became hungry. Desiring to eat, but while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance and beheld the sky opened up and a certain object, like a great sheet verse 11, coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, arise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. By the way, do you know this is the third time that Peter directly rebukes the Lord? Talk about consistency. Third time Peter has said in in Matthew 16 and in John 13, Peter tells Jesus, no. No forcefully rebukes him and he does it again here. I will not do this. God says, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, I won't do it, Lord, for I've never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And at that time, a voice came to him a second time and said, well, God is cleansed, no longer consider unholy. And then this happened three times and immediately the object was taken up out of the sky. Now, do you understand the background to this? Why Peter's not going to eat anything, quote unquote, unholy? Do you understand what the transition that's being made in this chapter? Again, this would behoove us to get into a little bit of um, the Old Testament and understand where Peter's coming from. I know I said he's rebuking God here, but he has reason to do that because of what was set up as a precedent in the Old Testament, albeit thoroughly maligned by Pharisaical teaching and law. But what God set up for good, men, you know, twisted it all. But Peter grew up in a culture where you didn't eat certain kinds of food. Does anyone have a um, sort of a Jewish background? I'm curious. Oh, okay. Um, and, and again, not to put you on the spot here, but did you grow up? I mean, what was the context, if you don't mind me asking?
1: I grew up. I grew up Christian, but my parents are are Jewish.
0: Okay. Um, so you're familiar with kosher and yes. Okay. Kosher law. It, is it? We, is there a familiarity? Um, again, this is, this is like a few Google searches away, and so you don't, you, know, you don't have to be like an expert or go to seminary or whatnot, but it would help set the context here. And so, th- thank you. So let me just go ahead and do that, and, and feel free to jump in um, and correct me or if you see something that that's maybe needs to be edited or something. Um, if you look on your labels, food labels, soda cans, candy wrappers, even whatever you have in your pocketbook right now, you may see either one of these two labels. And if you do, you may have not even known. You're eating kosher, so good for you. Okay. Um, all kosher means is that it is, they're trying their best to follow the Jewish dietary laws taken out of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And if you go to Leviticus and Deuteronomy... Um, you will find very specific laws about what God had to say about the way he wanted the nation of Israel to eat. And there were reasons for that. In Leviticus 11, God specifically lays out, here's the type of animals I want you to eat, and here's the type of animals I don't want you to eat. Uh, You can eat an animal that has cloven hooves, which means cow, sheep, goat, bison, because they're split in two. You can eat uh, mammals that chew their cud, which means that they, you know, like a cow digests, spits it back up, swallows, spits it back up again. Um, You cannot eat birds of prey, okay? So eagles are out, owls are out, vultures. And then the fish, this is why, you know, if you've ever seen movies or whatnot where Jews um, aren't eating shellfish, this is why. No lobster, no shrimp, no crab. And that's all found in Leviticus 11. Okay, So these are good. These are acceptable. Um, these, these are unacceptable. Um, then there's an interesting passage. Because I, what I'm trying to drive at is this. Whenever we do things, guys, I always want us to know why we're doing it. Especially if time has gotten between the command and where where we're at now. So do you know that, and, and maybe we can get a mic back to our friend here. Um, do you mind me asking, did you guys eat meat and dairy together? Um, okay, and, that, and that's what I was going to. Do you realize that um, Jews don't eat? Or, now again, there's three types, there's three um sects of Judaism, really, orthodox, um, conservative, and reform. Orthodox would be probably what you would think of when you think of at the Wailing Wall, um, um, paes, I believe they call them, like hair, um, the typical, the black garb, long beards. Conservative would be more of a modern, um, I agree with, I hold to more of a conservative view, but I'm not as strict, and then reform would be the most liberal um, and so depending on what, you know, relationship you have with those sects, uh, Jews do not eat meat and dairy together. Do you know why they don't? Um, real quick, let's just travel back and uh, back to, um, Exodus 23. Just go in your Bible. Let's go back to Exodus 23. I, f- I find this fascinating because I want to get us to a point. I said, there's going to be heart knowledge here and I want us to get us to a point of heart knowledge. See if I can do that, um, but the head knowledge needs to come first. And so in Exodus chapter twenty-three, look at verse nineteen. Exodus twenty-three, nineteen. Um, God tells Moses, You shall bring the choice first fruits, excuse me, of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. And then he says something interesting uh, You shall not you are not to boil a kid in the milk of its mother. Now, again, for, for time's sake, it's a fascinating discussion to have, but what does that mean to boil a kid in the milk of its mother? And what Jewish culture and rabbinical teaching would, would lead you to believe is that we're talking about, and I think they're correct, taking a, a kid, a baby uh, she, or goat, is that? And boiling it, cooking it in its mother's milk. And so, obviously, in Exodus, God forbid that. It's actually in another place, and I believe in Deuteronomy as well, he repeats it. But the question, I think, that needs to be asked, because because this is true of many Jews, not only are they not served at the same meal, but they have separate dishes. You don't cook in the same environment. Um, You wait anywhere between one to six hours before consuming either one if you've already eaten one or the other. So what was meant as, hey, just don't do this, has been taken and kind of pushed out to all of these man-made obligations Two separate sets of dishes, one for meat, one for dairy, because of exodus twenty three nineteen here 's another option as to why God that put that in there. Do not boil a kid in its mother 's milk maybe maybe all God was saying was i 'm a big fan of the sanctity of life, and I think it 's highly disrespectful to that mother, albeit an animal, when her birth is being cooked in the substance that's supposed to give it life. So, you know what? Just don't do that. I'm not convinced and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm not convinced God wanted us to get to a point of doing this. Um, I think there would have been much more evidence for him to do that. Okay? Peter was under this impression that we, you just don't eat certain kinds of food. Period. Period. Uh, uh, a a God-fearing Jew, you just don't do certain things. He's in Acts chapter 10, and this big sheet comes down. You can imagine, if you grew up in that lifestyle of, we just don't do that. My parents didn't do it. My grandparents didn't do it. My uncles don't do it. My cousins don't do it. And a sheet comes down that says, go do it. So I just, don't, don't get mad at Peter because he says, no, Lord, I won't do it. But God reminds him three times, I want you to do it. Now, As we move forward, you'll know why God wants him to do it, because this isn't about food. This is about God saying the foot of the cross is equal to everyone. In other words, I don't reject anyone from my gospel message, Peter. And you are so steeped in Judaism, in tradition, that I need to kind of have a clean break. This is not going to be a sprain where it's going to take weeks to mend. I need to break you of this now because there's a guy that you don't even know right now that needs to know me. And because of that, we need to deal with the hang-ups right now. So, boom, sheep comes down, animals on it, animals that Peter wouldn't even think about eating. God says, arise, kill, and eat them. Verse 17, Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what vision he had seen. Behold, the men who had sent by Cornelius, having asked the direction of Simon, appeared at the gate. So, Peter's freaking out now. And then, guys show up and calling out, they were asking for Peter... Peter, reflecting on the vision, spirit says to him, behold, three men are looking for you. She comes down three times. Three men are looking for you. Peter's starting to piece things together now. But arise, go downstairs, accompany them without misgivings, for I've sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and behold, said, behold, I'm the one you're looking for. What reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous man, God-fearing man, well-spoken by the entire nation of Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. Next day, he arises with them with a few other people that accompanied them from Joppa, um, and they went to Caesarea. Cornelius was waiting for them, verse 24, in Caesarea. And by the way, at that time, Caesarea was considered the ends of the earth. Where did we see that phrase? Where else did we see that phrase? You will be my witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, and even to the... Ends of the earth. In this day and age, this was the ends of the earth. God's fulfilling his mission. And when it came about that Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet and worshiped him. Peter, thankfully, raised him up and said, stand up, man, I'm just a man. And he talked with him and he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who's a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. So Peter's kind of making this disclaimer. Hey, I want everyone to know right off the bat. This guy is a non-Jew. I don't care if he's religious. I don't care if he, you know, is God-fearing, worships at the temple. He's not a Jew. And I want to make it clear, we're not supposed to be associating with foreigners. But God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Let that just sink in for just a moment. Do you have anyone in your vision right now that you don't want to hear the gospel message? We ended with this last week. We talked a little bit about who don't you want to hear the gospel message. And let's just kind of get our cards out on the table, right? Let's not be pious at this moment where there is someone or some group or that we just would assume, you know what? If, if you never hear the gospel message because of what you've done to me or what you've done to my kids or what you've done to my family or whatever, I wouldn't be ticked off about that. Um, several stories of people who are incarcerated right now because of what they've done and they come to find Jesus and the victim's families are ticked off about it. Because, it, because the, the feeling is, is, not only did they do just this horrific stuff, now they get to go to heaven too. Like, where's the justice in that? Can I just come alongside of you, please, and just tell you tonight? God is our avenger. And nobody gets a free pass. With that said, just because their heinous crime or heinous act toward us might rank up there pretty high, all we really, honestly, right, all we need to do is take a look in the mirror. And when Christ died for us, he died for them too. And so, yes, it is destructive and despicable, and they will be held accountable. Please don't think that it's just because you become a believer, you get a free pass. You are held accountable for your actions. In three different places, in Romans, 1 Corinthians, and Romans again, Paul makes it clear, you will give an account for every deed you've done on this earth, whether good or bad. And he's not talking to unbelievers, by the way, in those passages. So please don't think, yeah, they they made a deathbed confession, 11th hour confession, they get a free pass, God's going to say, woo you know, I forgot everything, welcome aboard. And you're sitting there holding kind of grief and turmoil, turmoil and torment and thinking, what was that? That's not the way God plays it out. But he does allow for I died for every race, every culture, every despicable sin. I died for that. And so if there's a person that needs to know me, they need to know me. And maybe God's using you as the instrument to get them to know him. He used Peter, who didn't even want to associate with a foreigner. Drop down to um, 34. Peter opens his mouth. I most certainly now understand that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears God and does what is right is welcome to him. I love that. That is revolutionary, guys, right there. Mark that, highlight in your Bible. Uh, something's happening right now in the first century. Gentiles are being welcomed into the kingdom. It, this is a powerful passage right here. And the application for us, as kind of we wrap up tonight, is the gospel is open. And has been open for 2,000 years now to everyone. This is a representation of every people group. Every kind of person out there today. The gospel is available for them. Um, many of us probably could go around and share our story of. I, Greg, honestly, I was that girl. I was that guy. That was despicable. That was heinous. That did things that I, you know, I'd be embarrassed to talk about tonight. And God saved me. I want to close tonight, and and, um, and I know we didn't get through all of chapter 10, but I want to close tonight with the application by showing you a, a short video here, and then we'll close. As this video is being played, maybe I need to ask myself tonight, God, with all this head knowledge I may or may not have, who am I sharing it with? And God, may you humble me tonight and, and forgive me if I am holding that back from somebody. Take a look at this video.
1: She is running A hundred miles an hour In the wrong direction She is trying But the canyon's ever widening In the depths of her cold heart So she sets out on another Adventure just to find she's another two years older, and she's three more steps behind. Does anybody hear her? Can anybody see? Or does anybody even know she's going down today under the shadow of our steeple? With all the lost and lonely people Searching for the hope that's tucked away in you and me Does anybody hear her? Can anybody see? She is yearning For shelter and affection That she never found